Um, so Pastor Damon kicked off our Tree of Life series last week, I know, and I know that he set the tone for um, what I'm calling basically the life-giving environment. That we all want life-giving relationships, we want to live in life. There's not one of us in here that would say, I just want death. I want bad things to go on in my life, right? Anybody, you know, opt for that road? None of us. We all want our life to go well with us, amen? And when we give place to to, uh, God's guidance, I believe that we have a better road ahead of us than when we don't. Obviously, um, that is a, uh, a given Now, before I get into our scripture, I wanted to kind of preface this by all of us will stand before God one day. We will give up ghosts, if you will. We will lay down these mortal bodies and uh, we will give an account uh, for our life. Can you say amen to that? And so I figure it would be fitting to share uh, a short joke about a fellow that went to heaven. and, and, And whether you meet St. Peter at the pearly gate or not, we know that's how those jokes go. Amen? And so he met St. Peter at the pearly gates, and uh, St. Peter said, well, uh, I'm looking for you here. I don't, I don't, I don't see your name. Uh, you know, you were born here. I'm looking for, uh, well, have you ever done anything kind to somebody else? He goes, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, when I was a little boy, I don't, I can't quite remember. He says, well, I don't, I don't see anything here that you've done. Um, did you ever pray for anybody? He goes, no, not really. He said, well, did you ever give to somebody to help their life be better? And he's like, yeah, no. And Peter's like, I'm really, really trying to help you here. I'm looking for anything that you might have done that would give you access to heaven. Now, we know it's not off works. This is a joke. Come on now. Some of you look at me like, it's not works, Pastor. For this situation, it is, all right? So St. Peter says, well, let's see. I mean, nothing. I just don't see anything. I'm going through your life here. I just... Nothing. Did you ever help an old lady across the street or anything? And he goes, well, yeah, I helped an old lady. He goes, really, really, when did you do that? He goes, well, there, she was being harassed by, by these, uh, you know, hell's angels, and they stole her purse, and so I jumped in, and I, I snatched her purse back and gave it to her, and she went on her way, and, 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 then, and then basically, you know, I, I helped her out. And he goes, well, when did you do that? He goes, about five minutes ago. Now, we know we don't gain access by works, amen, but so often when we hear the gospel or we read the Bible, we start to think that if I just do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, if I'm a good person, how many of you ever heard that? Well, I was a good person. I don't see how God would turn me down from entering into heaven, right? I know I thought that before I actually got saved and started reading the Bible and realized that, you know what, it has nothing to, access to heaven, Access to salvation, being justified by him, has nothing to do with my works. It has everything to do with his work. And when I accept that, I'm accepting that by faith. And as a result of accepting what Christ did for me, my life is changed. My heart begins to change. I once was blind, but now I see. When I read the word now, as a result of Christ being in me and being born again of spirit, I don't see the word of God the same way as I did before. When I read the word of God before being saved, before the grace of God was poured out on me as a result of accepting Christ, believing on him, through faith I was justified, not by my works. Amen? And so that's living in the tree of life, is when we come to understand that what Christ did 
is what gives us life. And so I want to talk about the life-giving environment. If you think about it, there are really only two environments that people grow in or die in, if you will. And in this sense, I want to talk about you're either going to grow bitter, you're going to grow with uh, spewing bitterness and death and hate and unforgiveness and things like that in your life, or you're going to grow in that place of where you're able to extend grace and love and mercy and truth. By the way, just because we love people doesn't mean that there isn't a, a factor of truth that is at operation where it comes to the kingdom of God. Can you say amen to that? And so we live in one of those environments or another. Sometimes we're in that environment of life, and then other times we're in the environment of death, and all I know is I like the environment of life. I like being around people that are a little more upbeat and a little more exciting, and, and when they look at life, even though they may get some lemons, you know, they think about it, if I just got some sugar, I could make some lemonade out of these little suckers, right? You understand what I'm talking about here? Is that you can look at life with the glass half empty, or you can see it as being half full. I find that people who see that what Jesus did don't look at life through the eyes of death. They look at life through the eyes of life. So Genesis uh, 2, 9 through uh, 9, and then 16 and 17 is our, our verses here in, uh, for the tree of life. But we know that there was two trees in the garden. There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I want to read those passages to us today. And out of the ground the Lord made, uh, God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of, no of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, I want to point something out as I've been studying this passage of Scripture that I've never really seen this this way before. What I understand about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that God made us free will agents, amen, that we excuse me, have choice. We can choose what we want to do. It doesn't mean that what we choose will necessarily be expedient or good for us. If we make a wrong choice, it can yield bad situations, problems, whatever that be. Well, I've never seen the, the tree, if you will, of the knowledge of good and evil the way that I've seen it through my study in, in this uh, series this time. Is that I was reading it one day, and as I was reading it, I was just like, God, you know, sometimes it's so difficult. I mean, you could have made it easier for us. Come on now. You could have made it easy. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, why give us that choice and, and let us have the opportunity to go the wrong way? Why don't you just, like, put one way in front of us, right? Come on, anybody ever thought that before? Like, God, can you not just make it all easy? The reality is, is God wants to be chosen as much as he loves choosing us. God wants us to love on him as much. And anybody that's ever had a child understands giving of yourself for your child and loving your child and doing for your child, but wanting that child to turn to you and just, I love you. That's what God wants from us. It's, not, it's really not even a demand from God. It's a desire from God to have relationship with us. As close as he was to his son, Jesus Christ, He's willing to give him up to die on the cross so that he might gain every one of us as a son and daughter through his work. And I think that's amazing to think that we have a God that loves us that much that he would make that sacrifice. 
So as I'm looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm seeing it different than I've ever seen it before. That the tree of the knowledge of good and evil set in the midst of the garden was not judgment. It seems like judgment does. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Isn't that great? Doesn't it? Sounds like judgment, doesn't it? Are you all with me this morning? Now listen, this is what I know right now, okay? We're going to talk just a little bit back and forth. You know why? Because Pastor Dwight Rogers was here, and you all talked to him. So you're going to talk to me today. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) I told him, brother, it is so much easier to preach when people are talking back to you. So I am not letting you come and go from here without talking back to me in the midst of a message. You understand what I'm saying, folks? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm looking at this tree, and I'm saying, whoa, okay, it's the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, if you go and read all the law, if you'll go and read all the law in the Scripture, you will find out what the knowledge of good and evil are, what right and wrong are. Now you get to see what, what all that tree possessed. See, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden by, by, by eating of that tree, they died that day. It was truly a manifestation of God's grace that day, not judgment. It was a judgment for sin, but it was a manifestation of grace. How was it a manifestation of grace? Because God created man already in his image. They were already like God. The devil deceived them and made them think that they wasn't already like God. They were like him in the sense God's not evil. He knows good and evil, but he's not evil. We were created in his image. We didn't know good and evil because evil was not in us. But the day we chose to do it our way, the day Adam and Eve chose that, they subjected all mankind to be born with a sin nature. Why? Because had God not put that tree in the midst of the garden, mankind would have lived forevermore in that fallen state, separated from God. And therein lies the manifestation that that tree was a tree of God's grace, not really a tree of his judgment. The judgment came as a result of doing the opposite of what God said to do. What was in the tree, what God declared over the tree, that if you eat from it, that day you'll die. That moment, grace started in Adam and Eve's life and for every single one of us as well. Why? Because before the foundations of the earth, before the Garden of Eden was ever created, before Adam and Eve were ever created, before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain, is what the Bible teaches us. Is that Jesus had already dedicated that he would give his life, should it be necessary. God being all-knowing, he already knows it's going to be necessary. And you want to know something? He ends up with something far greater in mankind as a result of redemption than he had at the beginning of creation. He created it and it was good. But when mankind has been redeemed, once we, once we have that place where we recognize, like, well, do I want to choose God through his son, Jesus Christ? If we choose to do so, what God has received back is not he created us that way, but he is recreating us. He is now transforming us from this state into that state. The Bible says he's changing us into the very likeness and image of his own son, Jesus Christ. And so it's much better, saints. Why? Because it's not that we have always been. It's that we are being made like him. 
listen to this, it is important to live life around people who are life-giving. Sometimes you have to choose with family and friends to limit your time because the environment you are growing in matters. You all understand what I'm saying here about influences. You get around people and it's just, you know, it's just the downer. It's, again, the bitterness and the, you know, you want to be around folks to where you can stay in that place where you become the, the, the message of the gospel. What is the message of the gospel? It's bad news, isn't it? Let me tell you, it's good news because the bad news already exists. <laughs> and you know what the bad news is, right? You know your bad news better than anybody else in here knows your bad news. You know your struggles, you know your battles, you know the things that hurt you, you know the things that you feel pain over. You know the bad news. The key is, is how can you begin to live in the good news? How can you begin to live in the grace of God, allowing that to be manifest in your life? So what you're doing each and every day, when you wake up in the morning, you take a piece of fruit. Let me say this. You take, if you will, relationship from the tree of life. You take in from him in your relationship. You draw in from Christ, and then what comes out of you will be a manifestation or a reflection of who you're in relationship with the most. I know for me, the more time I spend with Jesus, the easier it is for me to navigate the challenges of life. I know if somebody wrongs me, if I'm hanging out with Jesus, there's only one thing that happens in that. Hanging out with Jesus reflects this. He hung on a cross for the sins of mankind. While we were yet still sinners, God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for us. And I'm thinking that's a pretty high standard of love. Come on now. Come on now. That's a high standard of love. That's not a low standard of love. It's one that I struggle to live in. How about you? Amen? I struggle at it. But here's the, here's the good news. Jesus helps me with it when I give him place to help me with it. When I take from the tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what does that mean? Uh, you remember the story that I told you a few weeks back about the farmer who planted two fruit trees? He planted one near a, 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 a trash dump, kind of to, to, to block the view from his house to the, to the trash dump. And he planted the other one on the other side next to the mountains where the, the, the stream flowed. And he, he went and he plucked a piece of fruit from the one over by the trash dump. And he, he brought it because, oh, it looks ripe. And it was a little warped and, you know, uh, deformed. And, but, you know, it's still a piece of fruit and it looks like it's ready to go. And so he bites into the piece of the fruit and, and it's bitter. It tastes horrible. It's not good. He throws it away. He goes over to the other side of the farm, next to the mountain where the stream ran, and he, he gets a piece of fruit off that tree, and he takes it back, and that evening he, he uh, bites into the fruit, and it's sweet. It's, it's really, really good. It was the environment that it was in that caused the fruit that was being born to either be bitter, rotten, or good to taste. The environment. What's in your, I talked about uh, that li the life, uh, our life is in the roots that we put down. What's your roots in? And so now thinking of the tree of life, are your roots being set in him? And it is, it, it, is it his life that's coming up through your root system? Is it his life that's flowing in to yours so that the fruit that comes forth from it is one that is good and not evil? See, it's not... By, by knowing the difference between good and evil, it's simply by relationship, that's all that you know. It's all that can flow out of you. It, it's not more, well, I need to do the right thing, and I shouldn't do the wrong thing. How many of you keep all the lists that you make? 
Anybody ever make a list during the, you know, like, hey, I'm going to get all this done? We can't even get all the things done we need to with our kids and our jobs, right? Let alone we start making these lists of all the law. And when you go and read all the law, there's a lot of laws. Let me, let me give it to you this way. Um, once man ate from that tree in the garden and they know the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't really know the knowledge of good and evil. Now God's got to come along and give them the law so they know. Okay, you want to know how perfect it is? Here's how perfect it is. Even if you have a mole, you can't be a priest. One imperfection, a freckle on your body. I'm done. I've got so many freckles, I ain't got no hope of being a priest. You know what I'm saying? But the Bible tells us that in Christ, we are a royal priesthood and a chosen generation. Well, how can I be that when I'm so imperfect? I can be that because I live in the tree of life, and by the grace of God, I have been saved It's not of my works. And even though I may go and read the law and understand, look at all these requirements, can I measure up? No, I can't. Then how can I share the gospel? How can I tell others the good news when I can't even walk in the perfection that the Bible demands? Because my walking in that perfection is in Christ and not in myself. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ that lives in me. give you another one brother the rest of these folks are getting you help them get on board thank you thank you here's justified justified and you many of you have heard this statement before there's no sense in reinventing the wheel it's just if i've never done it when god looks at me through his son he does not see sin he sees me as righteous not by my own works but by his and it's just as if i'd never sinned Acts 16, 30 through 31 says this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's it. That's how simple it is. If you believe on him, you're saved. That's, that is how simple it is. Now, if you get saved, there's a few things you might want to start doing in your walk. The doing doesn't save you, but the doing helps you reflect who he is. The doing helps you start to become like him. This is where... Be a disciple, a disciplined one. So you start disciplining your flesh to follow him, but it's not just you, it is him in you making that possible. When, when he's walking with you, when he's making that happen, we'll have, oh man, you start to get transformed. From the inside out, you're changed, not from the outside in. Look, if I can convince somebody to conform to what I'm saying, somebody else can convince them to conform to something else. If Jesus Christ comes and convicts you, as the Holy Spirit has been sent to convict the world of sin, and the moment that we're convicted that I don't measure up, then this is where the law comes in, that the right from wrong all of a sudden is manifest to understand when the Scripture says the law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. Why? Because now I know I may not be doing that wrong, and I may not be doing that wrong, and I may not be doing that wrong, but I'm doing these other 400 things in the law wrong. Because of those 400 things, no matter how good I get this going, the reality is I still need Jesus. So the law has been my schoolmaster. Let me think of a schoolmaster. Wade's not in here. Doggone it. You're my buddy. Come here. I got to use a kid, you know. If we think of this little fellow going to school and he's got a schoolmaster, what's a schoolmaster like? Is he his buddy? Schoolmaster is his buddy, right? A schoolmaster doesn't know. I'm sorry, he's not. 
I'm your buddy. But in this sense, you're going to be a student. I'm going to be a schoolmaster, right? And here's the deal. Sit down right there, boy. You're going to do your work. You understand me? And if you don't do your work, I'm going to fail you. You understand me, young man? I'm going to send you home to your mommy and dad. You know, you all know what the nuns did, right? If a, if a kid misbehaved, you want a schoolmaster, you know what a ruler is. How many of you know Catholic school? Anybody ever been there? Right? With a, with a ruler, right? And here's the deal. Come here. Here's the deal. Here's how neat it is. You get to read in the law. I don't know about you. When I get to read in the Word of God and I start seeing all those places where I don't measure up, I'm just going, man, how will I ever do this? It can, it can be a downer to read the Word of God in the sense of trying to keep all the rules. It's still important to know it. I got this young guy up here. I'll tell you what, this guy chases me down to give me a hug. You admire your pastor, right? And here's what it really comes down to. He admires God. And where he sees a reflection in others of God, he wants to be like it. I've seen that in him. God's got an amazing, I'm going to do some prophesying right now, okay? God's got a call on your life. And you know what? You want to be a pastor. And you feel like God has called you to be a pastor, don't you? And I'm going to tell you, never stop pursuing that. Because we need people who will set themselves apart and ask Jesus to come and make them examples to others. And here's how we're examples to others. And I don't want you to ever forget this. No matter how much you study, no matter how much you know, the greatest example you'll ever be to others is to always point them to Jesus. You understand? And you pursue that with everything that's in you. You understand, young man? All right. <clears throat> See, the schoolmaster can kind of beat you down a little bit. Bring you to that place where you don't feel like you measure up. But once you get to Jesus, it is so amazing how he'll reach down and lift you up. You know what's cool about it? Did you ever have a teacher that graded on a curve? Come on now. <laughs> she comes in, it's like, man, you're all doing horrible. You're right? That's the schoolmaster. You're not doing good. And since it's such a tough class for you, I'm going to grade the class on a curve. That's what God did when he sent his son. He graded us on the curve. He showed grace through his son and gave us a passing grade, even though in reality we're all failures. And what's awesome about that is once you get that, once you've it's like, that is so cool, man. That's the coolest teacher in the whole world. That's what he's like. And here's the neat thing about it. He sent the Holy Spirit who will teach you of things yet to come and remind you of the things that I've spoken. That we have the Holy Spirit as that teacher to go, hey, remember, when you read the word, remember, this is what Jesus said about you. And then, oh, by the way, this is what your life actually looks like if you'll stay focused on him. You're no longer seeing it through the eyes of your failures. You're no longer seeing it through your mistakes. You start seeing your life through the way Jesus sees you. And you start to see the word of God that way. Rather than it being law, you begin to see grace. We don't dismiss the law because we understand that it so reflects. It's a mirror that says, I don't measure up. Jesus, will you help me? And as long as we're coming to him, 
I promise you, you'll never be rejected. That's what it is to be justified. Listen to this, Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh, say that with me, no flesh shall be justified. No flesh shall be justified. Listen to this. Just as if I'd done it. Here's the reflection. And this is what I've been talking about. We've all sinned, right? Isaiah 64 and 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts, so no matter how good we do, they're all like filthy rags. There it is again. I've sinned, but watch this one now. Galatians 3, 6 says, In the same way Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Because of your trust and your faith in God, no matter where you've been in life, no matter what you're going through right now, here's what happens. God goes, it's done. It's finished. He's hanging on the cross. He says, it is finished. And if you can grab a hold of faith in him, understanding that when he said that on the cross, he was saying, it is finished about you. It's all done. So no matter what you've done, what you're doing, or what you may fail at, Jesus is always there interceding at the right hand of the Father on your behalf. It says that he makes intercession for us. That, that, That Jesus, literally at the right hand of the Father where you are concerned, as he's talking to the Father, simply because you put your faith in him, as, Father, you know that they believe in me. See, Satan, the Bible says that, that, that the, the, the evil one, Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses the saints day and night. Uh, in Revelation, it says that he works to wear out the saints. He wants to wear us out. And how does he wear us out? He tries to get us focused on those failures and those negative things in life, to pull us down and suck us into that miry, back into that miry clay. Rather than the miry clay that Jesus lifted us up out of, recognizing he's at the right hand of the Father interceding. So when the devil comes chirping your, in your ear, and I like to call it the demonic tutor, there are demons and angels at work right now all around us. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of darkness is definitely at war. And we are the possession that both of them are after. The Bible says that that, that Satan knows he has but a short time. And you know what his main goal is? Is to take as many of us down his road as he possibly can. You know what Jesus' goal is? (laughs) To take as many of us with him as he can. And so when those two are contending, and, and here's what happens. You start hearing the demonic tutor. You're a failure. You're this. You're that. You know what you can say? No, I'm not. I'm who Jesus declared me to be. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. It's like, you know, I can't just say, I'm righteous. Have you ever seen a self-righteous person? It's not too much fun hanging around them. Why? Because they're never wrong, right? No. Everybody's wrong. We just read that. No matter how good they are, all their good works are like filthy rags. So here's the deal. When we get around Jesus, we we hear that demonic tutor coming in, we get around Jesus, it's kind of like we can silence that and begin to listen to what he says about us. And we will overcome it. So here's, uh, um, so Galatians uh, 3.6 says it this way. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. I've read that. 
Every, everything Abraham did toward God was based on his belief that God would give life. So Abraham and, and, and Sarah are old, real old. Y'all pretty much know that story, right? Real old. Say real old. Real We're talking like Abraham's kicking 100 and Sarah's in her 90s and they're going to have a baby. Now, I don't know about you. I say to Angie, hey, would you like to have another baby? She's like, no way, grandchildren. I, anybody in here, man, when I'm 100, I want to have a kid. You know, I mean, chasing around that little booger, you know. Well, here's the deal. God gives him his promise, and then God says, hey, I want you to give your promise back to me. I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to offer him to me. And Abraham does not withhold his son from God. And he doesn't because it says that Abraham believed him. Abraham believed him in every step of his life. He believed that God was able to give him life. Now there's moments Abraham took things into his, hand, his own hands. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Sarah comes. They've had the promise. It's before he's 100. And Sarah says, hey, this young maidservant I've got over here, maybe God will give us a child through her. That's God's plan. And Abraham goes, okay. Right? God never said, hey, uh, I'm going to give you a child through Sarah's maidservant. Not one time was that ever said. Abraham knew the word of God. Sarah comes and says that. When you're getting that old, you're thinking, man, I'm coming to the end of myself. It, maybe we ought to take it into our own hands. God's missing it here. And I'll tell you, we produce some of the greatest messes in our life when we don't just wait on the Lord and allow him to work his life in us. Just keep eating from that tree of life keep eating from the tree of life keep eating from the tree of life do you know that fear and unbelief come from the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil <laughs> fear and unbelief fall to the side of knowledge of evil how do i know that because it starts to say maybe god's not going to be able to do it maybe god can't do it this way maybe god can't do it the way that god said he could do it and the same at that demonic tutor's going hath god said that is that what God really said? And right in the garden, he says to Eve, hath God said? Yeah, that's exactly what God said. It was only when she got the word of God twisted up that she was able to be deceived. It's only when we get the word of God twisted up in our life that we're able to be deceived and start going down that road where we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've got to stay on the tree of life. Amen, saints? So here's some things you've got to understand about Abraham. Even when they came and said, hey, Abraham, uh, you know, all this is yours. Everything that you have, you know, all that you've won in this, uh, you've plundered, and everything you've got is yours. Abraham, the Bible says, gave a tithe to Melchizedek, the high priest of the Lord. Why did he do that? It says that he didn't want anybody to say that they had increased Abraham, but it was God that increased Abraham. He gave God all the glory. What was he doing in that moment? See, he could have begun to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, I had the victory. I'm the one that did this. I'm the one that worked for it. I, it's, it's mine. And had Abraham had that stance, then guess what? He would have done the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. He would de deny God. Adam and Eve, in the moment that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all of a sudden denied God and pursued it for themselves and it didn't turn out good and Abraham knows that and he comes along and he's like you know what I'm going to acknowledge God with my life I'm not going to look that any man has increased me or that I've done this myself but I'm going to honor God because that's eating from the tree of life 
He is the tree of life. And if we keep taking him in and we keep honoring him and keep putting him at first place, I promise you, you'll end up where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You don't have to follow a list. You just follow him and you'll wind up being the person he made you to be. So here's what's got to happen. I believe that these are some areas that can rob us of that life-giving perspective or that life-giving attitude, if you will. We have to deal with other people. We got to deal with our husbands. Well, you got to deal with your husband. You got to deal with your husbands. You got to deal with your wives. You got to deal with your kids. You got to deal with your friends. You got to deal with your family. You got to deal with your boss. You got all those things at you. So listen here. If you want to ensure you remain in a life giving environment, you need to avoid these areas. Number one, avoid working to please people. Everything you're doing needs to be unto the Lord. And then guess what? You'll find favor with people. Do you remember they said that they had favor with God and all the people? When we're close to him and we're eating from the tree of life, we tend to have God's favor on our life with him and with others. So avoid working to please people and please God. Galatians 2, 1 through 2. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus. Uh, Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those, uh, those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that uh, we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. Now, here's the deal. Paul's simply doing this. He's saying, there's others that have been doing this. I, th- I would like to go and validate what I'm doing. Now, while he's wanting to do that, he wants, he wants others to weigh in on that. He wants the others that are preaching the good news, the gospel, to weigh in on what he's doing. It's not the defining, fully defining thing for Paul. Listen to Galatians 2.6. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. So in other words, they're like, Paul, that, you're preaching the gospel. But listen to this. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Listen to this. God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. So very simply put, here's the deal. You know, to, to, to honor God doesn't mean dishonoring man. No. Doesn't mean we lack excellence. No. Do we have to have other people's opinion? No, we don't. The most important thing we need is God's opinion over our life. Come on now. We need that, that, that tree of life pouring into us, and we can go confidently, and it doesn't matter who we encounter. Guess what? We have a confidence that we are doing what is right unto others and God. Does it mean that, uh, that we're supposed to be irresponsible? Not at all. In other words, when you work for God and you're trying to please God, does that mean be irresponsible with others? No, and you can translate it pretty quickly. If, if those things are going on, that's not fruit that's produced by the tree of life. That's fruit that is produced by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two, second thing to avoid. Avoid getting distracted. Galatians 2, 11 through 12. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came to, to James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Here's the circumcision group. It's those that belong to the law. It's those who, if I fulfill the law, then I'm righteous. And so here's Peter, follows Jesus around. He's preaching the good news for what it is. 
And all of a sudden, when, when uh, the, uh, the other Jews get around him, they're like, hey, uh, we can't eat pork. And we need to make sure we're keeping this. And, you know, we need to keep these things. And we need to do these things. And so what happens is Peter's like, okay, no, none of the Gentile buddies around. All right, I'm in here with the Jews. I do what the Jews do over here. And I come out. I'm looking out the door. Right before I go out, like, okay, none of them are out here. Hey, guys, what's up? Oh, we're going to go eat some pork? Sweet. Got me? It's like over here with the Gentiles, man, we're all believing grace. But over here with these guys, man, I got to, you know, do it another way. You know, all of a sudden, Peter starts. Not only, Peter had eaten from the tree of life, man. He's walking with Jesus for a little over three years. Eating from the tree of life. The teachings of Jesus over and over again. And all of a sudden, he starts reverting back to the law, the knowledge of good and evil. And Paul comes on the scene and by the way, Peter was a fisherman. Peter didn't know the law even remotely as well as Paul knew the, the law. Why? Because Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. Uh, you know, concerning uh, you know, his legitimacy, a Jew circumcised the seventh day, th- those of the circumcision. He's going it down the line. I kept it all. He declares, I was the man when it came to the law. Most scholars believe that that Paul was the next in line to be high priest after Caiaphas who crucified our Lord and Savior. When you think about that pedigree that he had, it was amazing. But Paul also said, I count that all as dung. I count the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as mulch that I might know Christ, the tree of life. That's what he was saying in that. If I can know Christ, life pours into me. He'll ensure that I know what I need to know. And as I read the word of God, I won't be deceived to go back down that road of trying to live in the law to complete. Now what Paul said to the Galatians, he said, Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Have you begun in the flesh and now, or have you begun in the spirit and now you're completed in the flesh, you're completed by the law, going back and keeping the law? That's exactly what Peter was doing. But Peter was playing both sides of the fence, if you will. And in that, he was becoming a stumbling block to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's something we don't want to be. When, we, when we're wishy-washy, we go back, you know, I eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil a little bit, and then I start, well, you need to do this. And, you know, somebody walks out here, they're brand new to the church, they walk out, they light a cigarette up, and I hear a member of the church say, hey, you need to put that out, you don't smoke at the church. Okay, well, I won't come back to the church. Why? Because they don't know any better. You all feel me on this. We need to love people well enough and understand it's not our job to clean them up. It's our job to share the good news with them that they might receive Christ and then let the Holy Spirit work on them. Come on now. So, uh, let me jump down here. 2 Corinthians uh, 11, uh, 3 through 4. So avoid getting distracted. Listen to this. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray. From your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a a Jesus or uh, other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Don't put up with it. When when, when it's you need to do this and you need to do this. Look, there's accountability for for fact. There's accountability. Look, uh, hey, Ange. I'm going to go and just have a bunch of girlfriends. What? 
Why not? I mean, you know, grace and all. Look, y'all getting so serious on me. I'm just trying to put it down where it's real. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, hey, uh, hon, I'm going to go out drinking with my boys. What? And you're trying to make me live under the law. Y'all didn't see that. She said, yeah, this one right here. Hey, you know what? I've failed in my marriage at times. I've, I've fallen short. You know what's neat? When we stood at the altar and made a covenant vow to one another, we would do everything right. We would never let each other down. And, and you know, uh, baby, I'm going to love you and I'm going to treat you good. And, you know, two years later, it's like, what's your problem? Does that look like what I did at the altar? No, it doesn't look anything like what I said at the altar, right? Here's what happens when those wrestling matches come in your marriage. You know what? You move from a relationship of law, covenant of law, vows, that's if you look at what the law was, if vow, you move to relationship, which is grace. Our relationship is a tree of life relationship. Back then it was a, is we're going to do the right things. And we're going to do them because we love each other and we're committed to each other. And absolutely we should do that. But you know what? When I was a child, I spake as a child. But when I grew old, I put away childish things. It's no longer a requirement. It's, it's a desire. Come on now. You stand there and declare everything you will be and do because you desire each other. You want to be with each other the rest of your life. And then you start spending your life together and you realize, I don't know if I want to be with this person the rest of my life. <laughs> Whoever that is, they're in a doghouse. <laughs> it's true. I'm going to wrap this up here in a few minutes. It's true, though. And look, I'm not, the best I could describe it, and I use marriage all the time like that because, look, he is our bridegroom and we are his bride. The church is his bride. And so when you understand a husband and wife relationship, and that's why I always bring that in, it's not been easy, but it's certainly been easier these last, I mean, it's not even that hard anymore, right? No? <laughs> Bad illustration? <laughs> Point is, is, is we can fight and argue with tons of love. We love each other so much. It's like, I disagree with you, and good luck with that, but I love you. Hear me on this. That is the way Jesus is with us. It's like, look, what you're doing is wrong, but I love you. Come on now. Isn't that true? It's like, man, I don't measure up. Jesus, I can't come close to Jesus because he can't love me. That's how you would treat people. That's never how he'll treat you. And we tend to look at people that way and say, I could never forgive you. We come to Jesus and it's like, he could never forgive me. Right, because you can't forgive somebody else. But when you can forgive other people, when you come to Jesus, guess what happens? It's like, hey, how's it going? I love you so much. You're my, you're my Lord and Savior. I mean, I worship you, but man, you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother, Jesus. He's the closest one I got. Jesus is closer to me than she is, and then her. And when I stay close to him like that, she and I are good. Other people and I tend to get along. I'm not saying all the time. Come on now. It's not that way all the time. But let me tell you, when you're going through those things or you're wrestling with those things, just get close to Jesus and he gives you proper perspective. And it's a perspective of the cross that all have fallen short. Look, avoid getting on bandwagon with people. 
You know what the bandwagon is, right? Listen to this. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who was the guy that hung out with Paul a lot, and he was a guy that was an encourager, even Barnabas was led astray. We can be led astray by getting on the bandwagon. Let me, let me show you bandwagon stuff. Some of the counseling engine I've done over the years, and, and we get a husband and wife in the room, and then the wife gets to go be with Angie, because I don't understand women. I work hard at understanding this woman, <laughs> you know, so that's good. But I get in a room with, with, with a couple, and, and the chatter's going back and forth, and you get to that place of where, you know, she's talking to her friends, or he's talking to his buddies, and, and, and he's, done, he's mistreated his wife, or she's mistreated him, however it goes. So it's normally both. We, we say there's always two sides to the story, right? And so that happens, and she gets with them. We compare notes, and here's the deal. Her girlfriends are saying, just leave that dirt bag. The boys are saying, hey, man, go out and party with, man, there's other girls, in there. there's other fish in the sea, man. And they start getting on a bandwagon, and let me tell you what happens. Their marriage comes to an end very quickly because they're listening to other people rather than focusing on each other and eating from the tree of life. Rather than eating from the tree of life, those other people that are like, yeah, that, he's a jerk, yeah, knowledge of good and evil, right? They start feeding that, and you start eating that, and I promise you, life's not going to come forth. You know I've yet to see a marriage go through divorce where it was a, a life-giving situation. Never seen one go through divorce where, oh, yes, this is, oh, this has just been so good to go through a divorce. Right? And you know what? I've never taken people through a counseling session and stood at an altar and married them where they're sitting there going, I hope my marriage fails in two days. Six months, a year. Every single one of them come to the altar, man. I want this to last forever. And then all of a sudden, failure, that human element that's there, that we all fall short. Marriage should be the place where there's the greatest manifestation of God's grace because it's a reflection of the covenant that we have with him. If we're believers and we stand and we don't marry people, we don't bring them together and, and do a wedding. If somebody won't go through counseling enough for me to talk about what covenant is, I won't do the wedding. And the reason why I won't do the wedding is because I'm not standing before God to give an account for people that quote-unquote, I stood and, and joined them in holy matrimony, and what God has put together, let no man separate, not even themselves. Now, I understand divorce happens, and I understand the scriptures give us guidance for that, and I understand that the grace of God moves upon us and let us, lets us have a new slate. But if we could understand that God does not like divorce, as a matter of fact, the Bible says God hates divorce, and we understand that Jesus said it wasn't so from the beginning. Yes, Moses gave you law that you could divorce. But Jesus went on to say it was not so from the beginning. And he says God hates divorce. Why? There's a spirit behind it. And I say that spirit is a spirit of legalism. You don't measure up. You don't do this right. You don't do that right. Now, now if, again, I need to clarify, if you've been through divorce... Thank God for grace. If it didn't work out, you ended up with somebody and they're a total jerk. She's a total jerk. Whatever. Thank God that there's grace that you can move on. But we don't all of a sudden rewrite the Bible and say, well, divorce is something that God's cool with. Y'all feel me on this? And in our society today, when people can just run to the courthouse and, and just, hey, I'm done. And, you know, I, I don't know where I heard that statistic. I heard it recently, but they said that, fit, uh, what is it, 50% of divorces today uh, begin or come from Facebook. 
50% of the divorces that are happening are coming from Facebook. People going on Facebook and talking to old flames, talking to old girlfriends, talking to old boyfriends, and next thing you know, they're in an affair. Social media, but I wouldn't call it all good. Be careful how you interact. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when you're on Facebook or any kind of social media. Stay in the tree of life. Can you say amen, saints? So avoid that bandwagon. Here's the deal. Bandwagon comes, uh, relational bandwagons, they come as a result of the lack of accountability. Very, very important to have people in your life that that you, you, you know, you're open to. Do you have a few people, do you have a few friends that, that you know would like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? If you don't have those friends, and I'm not talking a condemning way, I'm talking like they can look at you and give you that, like your mama or your daddy used to, like, what are you thinking, you know? And they're like, I know. And it's like, and, and what do you do? You, you help them understand, look, don't eat from that tree. It'll be destructive to you. Uh, four, avoid spiritual pride. Number four, avoid spiritual pride. Listen to this. Galatians 2, 14 through 16. I said to Peter in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified, there's that word, justified, by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That and that alone. Galatians 2, 20-21. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but, I, uh, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me, or excuse me, loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we could gain righteousness by what we're doing right, then Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. The only hope we have of living a life that reflects the tree of life is by coming to the one who declared himself to be the tree of life. Amen. So, stand to your feet if you would. As I share this last thought. And it's very important for us to, to really get this. Oftentimes, spiritual pride can look like humility. Oftentimes, spiritual pride can look like humility. And there's times that humility can look like pride or arrogance. Even as I stand up here talking to you about the matters I'm talking to you about today, with fear and trepidation, and the reason why I share the stories of my own struggles is please understand that what I'm sharing with you challenges all of us, challenges all of us to eat from the tree of life, and that we have to be humble enough to know that if there be any pride, right kind of pride, it would be pride in what Jesus has done for us on that cross. That he died in my place and gave his life a ransom so that I could enjoy a life that's abundant. And there's no other way to possess it but through him. The moment that we start to look at ourselves, why measure up? I'm doing pretty good. That's pride, the wrong kind of pride. But when we can look to him and say, Jesus, I just thank you and so appreciate that you continue to work in me. Lord, I thank you that you've committed that you who have begun a good work in me will perform it until the day you return for me. That, 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 that Jesus, that you are the author and that you're the finisher of my faith. And I look to that. I look unto him who is the author and the finisher of my faith. 
And I don't want to get into that place of looking to myself and measuring myself by myself or comparing myself among others. The Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. When we compare ourselves to Jesus, when we reflect into the word and we are praying to him and, and we're looking at ourselves as measured to him, the schoolmaster keeps leading us back to him and we're okay with it. We don't feel condemned. We don't feel rejected. We feel a sense of Jesus is here to help me live a life that reflects who he is. Amen? So uh, if you bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I hope that, uh, Lord, not just today, but in uh, the days and weeks to come, Lord, as we go through this series. God, I just I pray that we all begin to, to take from the tree of life more and more. God, as we're reading your word in those, those places that it might, you might put your finger on areas of our life, God, there wouldn't be a sense of I want to run or I, I feel condemned or I feel rejected, but God, I feel accepted that you would come and speak that into my heart, that I could turn to you and you could all the more make me your son or daughter. Because, Lord, your word declares that you discipline the sons and daughters you love. So, Lord, when your word disciplines us, I pray that we would have a heart to receive it. I pray, God, we'd be mindful of the environment that we are creating around ourselves with our relationships, God, and our choices every day. Now, is it an environment that produces life or is it an environment that produces death? And, Lord, I pray that we'd set those boundaries. I pray we'd have those friends. I pray with, with our spouses, uh, God, with our church, with our work, wherever it be, that God, boundaries are set in. Not to be under the law, but, Father, to be under grace and to live for you. I pray the greatest boundary is a day that begins by honoring and glorifying you, by reading your word and worshiping you, God, praying to you for those matters in our life, Lord God, that can spin us around. Lord, I pray for every person in here as we go today that, God, you would, uh, you would increase them and you would bless them. Just as we prayed for these students, God, I pray for every family, every household. That, God, above all, that they would know that your presence is with them. And that, Jesus, they would acknowledge you with uh, honor. But understand that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Lord, uh, before we go, I just lift all of our soldiers up who are currently serving. I thank you for them. Lord, all their families, I thank you for them. Got to think of those videos that we watch where moms and dads return from being deployed and how their children run up to them and just are so um, overjoyed. Lord, I know part of that is that they're back home a lot, and the other part is just they've missed them. God, for their sacrifice, Lord, we honor them and every one of us put our faith together that, Lord, upon our military servicemen and women and families, that, God, you would overshadow them with favor. God, I pray for the leaders of our country that, God, they would truly consider the decisions that they're making. That, God, uh, I think of the division that exists up there in this country, Lord God, needs to be united. It is the United States. It was united under one nation under God, indivisible. And yet, we couldn't say today, Father, that 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 is us. So, Lord, we all join in faith together on this Memorial Day.
Acknowledging those who have already paid the highest price of giving their lives for our freedoms and for us to be a united people. God, you would visit this nation, its leadership, and you'd pour your spirit out. And that you would do an amazing work in our nation once again. And that you would end this discord and division that exists. Give our leaders wisdom from the top all the way down. Give the people wisdom, God. As your word says that wisdom comes down from above. And that, Lord, we can ask liberally. Or ask of the God who gives liberally. So, God, we're asking that you will give a liberal blessing of your wisdom upon all our leaders. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, God bless every one of you and have a great day.